everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi and I am your host. So how are you doing? How are you managing? Have you been stuck in lockdown? Have beaches near you been closed? I must say I've been having a tough time juggling with our new life and the fact that I can see the sea but not go anywhere near it has left me a bit speechless vis-a-vis most of my projects including this podcast. I haven't been that active on social media and I have been procrastinating a lot. I don't know about you, but I'd love you to let me know how you're doing. Anyway, that said, I guess I've learned to digest and process the information, get over the grief of the nothing's going to be the same again kind of feeling and um, generally express gratitude. And I guess now it's time to get on with it. So here I am today launching episode 48 of the Ocean Riders podcast. In this episode, I got to sit down for a chat with Marie Baer, who's based in Brisbane, Australia. She's passionate about using innovative technology, and my conversation with Marie was quite serendipitous, but at the present moment, it was really relevant with the news, and that's quite uncanny, actually. Marie is the founder and CEO of Wonji. It's a startup that's solving the problem where people have little access to the health information. In these trying times, it could help to actually have all our health records centralised in an app that we could share with doctors and nurses. Things like symptoms, injuries, medication, chronic illnesses and much more. And in fact, that's what Wanji does. Marie and I discuss her health tech app and the challenges she's facing building a startup and finding funding and also finding balance in a pretty full on environment. Marie's work has been recognised by Forbes in the top 50 women-led startups disrupting health tech, so I was very honoured she cared to drop in for a chat and that she shared her knowledge of building a startup and the health issues she solves with her app. Anyway, without further ado, please welcome Marie Bear. Hello Marie and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I am excellent. (laughs) And you? I'm really, really well, actually. It's a beautiful day here in France, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, for sure. My name is Marie Baer, and I'm founder and CEO of Wanji, and it's an online health wallet for people to manage their symptoms and their health information. Excellent. I guess before we actually sort of talk about Wanji, which is a fabulous project and a fabulous company. Maybe we could sort of go back and discover your backstory. What kind of a family did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in a family with six children and we lived in a sort of country area and we used to camp near the beach at Christmas time and long holidays. And so I guess growing up in a big family, Um, You learn how to, I guess, negotiate. And being the eldest daughter, I suppose, I guess your life is is guided by that, you know, where you are in the family. Uh That's wonderful. And so um, did you discover the joys of surfing when you went on these family holidays? I guess I discovered the simplisticness of the beach, which I still love now. And in fact, my husband and I have a, a van, a camping van, where, which we use on the weekend and, and go surfing. 
But I didn't surf when I was young. In fact, I would, I only learned to surf when I was older. Really? You know, and I'm not going to say my age, but I learned to surf, you know, probably middle age. Yes, let's say that. Right, right. That's really exciting, actually. And so to go back to your backstory, what did you study at university? Did you go to university? I did go to university. I studied technology because I've been involved in tech my whole life. Right. But in fact, I didn't finish my degree because I was involved in technology in, you know, very early days of technology. And I was a little bit bored with how it was at university because I was, you know, involved in so many interesting aspects of technology and software companies. And then when I went along to university, it wasn't quite at the same level as reality. It might have updated now, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure universities are a different place now. But, you know, this is the first, I guess, iterations of computer science degree. Yeah. So essentially, I've dropped out halfway through, but, you know, I seem to have survived with the knowledge that I've had. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And so have you always been had a sort of entrepreneurial spirit and wanting to found your company? Or did you work in some teams before you actually set out on your own? I guess if I look, you know, look back, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit because in tech, we've never really worked in one place for a long time. It's not like traditional jobs where you stay there for 10 years, 15 years, wait for the golden handshake. I think the most time I've ever stayed in a role has been three years. But when I had my children, you know, I started contracting and taking on consulting type roles and, and working on, on smaller projects. And I, I taught how to set up systems, etc. But I guess if that was me now, I would be creating a startup. Uh-huh. So I guess there wasn't the, there wasn't the capability to do it in a way at that time in my life. So I'm making up for it now. <laughs> That's brilliant. So would you consider yeah. yourself as a tech guru? Oh, I'd never call myself a guru, but I try my heart. I mean, I just love technology. I guess I've been involved with it my whole career in different ways and and constantly learning. I think technology and being involved in technology, it's a, a lifelong journey and it's moving with the flow. Yeah, yeah. And it's moving super fast as well. So yeah, ke- yeah. keeping up with it all yeah. is, a, is a full-time yeah. job. Yeah. So what happened in 2017? Well, 2017, this is a combined story because my husband is also involved in technology as well. And whilst I was working on, you know, significant projects within corporate and government and with fairly cool innovation, my husband was very focused in the digital health space. And so I was listening to the plans of what was going to happen in the future possibly for digital health and I thought, well, actually, at this point in time, I see a lot of this work happening for, for doctors and bureaucrats. But we're talking here about people's health records. You know, why can't people actually access them themselves? So I said to him, I'd like to see if there's some way that I can do that, provide a way for people to access their health records, because what if they could? How would that information empower them? How could they change their decision makers? How could they improve the way that they communicate to doctors? And how could they help themselves get diagnosed quick, more quickly? Right. And that's what I was thinking. So 
that's why I started this journey in essence to try and uh, find a way for people to get a hold of their health information and use it to help themselves, to put themselves in more control. Yeah, that's really interesting because wherever you are in the world, it's quite opaque, the whole health system. And it's, you've got files in, you know, one doctor and then you go to another specialist and they don't have any record. And so there's no kind of continuity in in the way our health data is actually stored and managed. It's quite surprising, actually. Yeah. Do you know why that's the case? Well, there's a number of layers to this. Well, people think that everything's connected because we're familiar with that in every other aspect of our lives. But with health, we're very passive. Most people are very passive. They just trust what the doctor says because they don't think they should ask or they forget what they should be saying. And and they're under pressure and stress because the doctor only has 10 minutes or 15 minutes to see them. And so this is the way it's been with health. People don't feel very, you know, able or capable of actually interpreting or providing the information. But this is historically the way that it's been. And we hope that if we can start providing a way for people to have their information on hand, they might feel more in control and more able to communicate. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect is We think that everything's connected, and I think I did mention that, but all of the systems in the world, the hospital systems and and the doctors, are not connected mostly. Mm. They're starting to, and what we're starting to do in the industry is use standards so that your health records somewhere are stored in a certain way and in other places they're stored in the same certain way. So, therefore, you might be able to get a hold of them and, and talk. So... If we can move forward in the industry with some standards and interconnectivity, the way forward is that you could do that. Our mission is that no matter where you are in the world, you could access your health information. But I think we're quite some way off you being able to get it from everywhere. Mm, yeah. But in fact, your health records and your health information is in a lot of places right now, like it's at a hospital, a doctor probably childcare centre, you know, testing locations. But everyone else has access to it and that we don't as individuals. Yeah. So I guess there's quite a few steps that we need to make. But if we start with educating people that they can start using this information and trying to get a hold of it, how might that change their lives? I guess that's the journey that I'm on. Right, right. So specifically, what is 1G? Well, Wanji, the name means health and life. So it's an Australian word and it's the essence of what we're trying to do is for people to be able to track their symptoms. So that's useful. If they track their, their symptoms and their health information, they can use that to communicate to a physician physically or via telehealth or to actually just self-monitor themselves. So we've got a problem in the world in that over 50% of the population has chronic conditions. Mm. And most people, like, you know, one in 20 people get misdiagnosed. And that's worse if you're a woman or if you're from a, you know, a group that, you know, is a minority and they don't have, they don't do their scientific testing on that type of information. So, you know, for us and for doctors, it's hard to connect the two, Mm. right? people's information and what a doctor's, you know, trying to find out when they see you in that 10-minute window. Mm, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so 
obviously this information is highly sensitive and very confidential. How do you actually sort of manage that and secure that and make sure and, and actually reassure your your clients or your your subscribers that their information will remain within their app and, and not get shared to third parties or whatever? Well, the key element that when you are a you know a software supplier is that you need to um, make sure that your app is designed securely. Mm-hmm. And in our situation, we use standards, you know, encryption standards for saving health information. There's also a standard called HIPAA, which is all about storing a secure standard for storing health records. So we comply to all of those standards. And also, really, it's just what we should do. Yeah. You know, we should make sure that people's information is safe and secure as much as impossible in this world today. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But that's really, really interesting that actually um, people are getting access to their health records because even in a centralised system like in France or in, in Australia or, or wherever, it's, it's very difficult to get hold of your medical information. Yeah. So how does a user actually sort of get access to their health records? Does your app go to the national records and then feed it back into the app or is it the subscriber that has to fill it in themselves? At the moment, it's the subscriber, but, you know, this is part of this journey of connectivity. Right. Right. So at the moment, it's the subscriber putting it in through documentation or electronic records that they may get from the places where health records currently are. And as we continue on, we will stay at the, I guess, start making it easier for people to obtain their health records as we connect into hospital systems that freely provide them, mm, right? Right. We do have a history of of this in that it's a little bit of a sad story for in that uh, 2018, our first app that we created was actually an app to view the Australian My Health Record, right, because we're based in Australia. And then what happened was, you know, this has been, you know, throughout the world, you know, there's quite a lot of, I guess, decisions made at the last minute about accessing health records or not accessing health records. So at the last minute, they said, no, actually, we're not going to allow this mobile gateway to happen. And so we were completely devastated. But then at the end of the day, we thought, well, the problem still exists. People still want to try to get health record. So let's create a global product and which is what we've done. So late last year we created a global product which is available on the App Store. And it's still useful for people to be able to capture their health records and symptoms, set up reminders for their medication, store things like uh, specialist referrals so you've got them on hand. Great. So it's a global problem and as over time we will start or try to connect into systems to make it easier for people to get a hold of their electronic health records. Mm, yes, because there's a subtle difference between the electronic yes. health records and the re- health records that you're punching in yourself, I guess. Yeah, well, you can punch things in yourself but or you can – soon we'll be releasing capabilities where you can scan something that you get from a doctor. So we'll tr- start trying to make it easier and, and probably you know that'll be available not, in the not-too-distant future. So it's all about – personalizing health and providing daily health reports for people so that they can start managing their health on a daily basis. That's what we're ultimately trying to do. That's extraordinary. That's really good. And would you consider health tech to be a kind of male-dominated business? 
I think the tech world in itself is very male-dominated, mm-hmm. but there's many challenges around that. But I, I think that the whole technology space, creating technology, creating startups, getting funding for startups, it, it's all a very male-dominated space. Yes. This is something that I've seen my whole life. And what's it like being a woman in a male-dominated business? How do you actually sort of make the most of the situation? Sometimes, because I've seen it so many times, I get a little bit exasperated, but I just let it go. Yeah. (laughs) Right, where I can, because it's difficult. But I do feel, sometimes I feel a little bit annoyed. And what I find is that women, there is, you know, quite a group of women that in my sector, the health tech and the femtech sector that are, I guess, grouping around each other and promoting each other. But at the end of the day, what we need is the the wider networks where the money is Mm, and where the connections are and where the big companies are. And so we can't isolate ourselves. We need to make sure that we're very engaged with all stakeholders. So that's, I guess, the position that we're in. Right, right. So what are the challenges that you've had to face over the past few years actually getting the startup off the ground? Well, we, we had that setback back in 2018. And also we have current setback of that we're looking for funding. Yeah. And it's you know, the, the amount of women that get funded is very small compared to funding available for, uh, I guess, startups that are founded by men. Mm. So that is frustrating because we are looking to grow globally. This is a, a space that the big companies like Apple and Amazon are all going into and we have capability that, that can personalise health for people. So it's, it's validated that this space is, is very much needed, but we're still not getting that visibility that some other big companies are, of course. which it makes it difficult for us to get funding. And what would your advice be to people who are in the same position, you know, have a, have a startup, a, an app, to find mentors or partners to actually help the startup financially viable? Well, I think it's about surrounding yourself with people that will help you in your networks. Mm, yeah. And also, yes, yeah, so if you're a startup, sometimes it's you do need a solid network of support around you anyway as a startup because there's so many difficulties constantly. You know, and there's so many, if you haven't had a startup before, there's so many things you need to learn. So obviously being around people that have done before or being in a, I guess, a co-working space or being in a virtual co-working space, whatever that means, that you are being helped along the journey by other people Mm. if you have a significant problem to solve. Right, right. Yeah, and I guess running a business in any case is often a lonely experience, How do you come the solitude? Well, that is a big challenge because there's a lot of things that I don't, I guess I have to keep them inside myself just because to express them sometimes is really hard and I don't want to burden my family and I don't want to burden my husband. And so that's quite difficult. So there's probably some close friends in the startup world that may understand Mm -hmm. what I'm going through and so then I will you know, talk to them. (laughs) Sometimes that's easier to do. (laughs) 
I mean, it, we, we have to, I guess, we have to have a solid family around mm-hmm. us anyway, but I think just some things you have to, you know, you just do keep inside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And <laughs> do you have a large team right now? How many people are working in the startup? We've had a larger team and then we've brought it back while we're waiting for funding. You know, there's a lot of challenges with bringing us, you know, a team back to a smaller team's while you're trying to get funding, it means that more and more work comes back onto mm. the startup founder, which is me, and that certainly has a lot of challenges. <laughs> so how many people work for you right now? At the moment, there's about six, wow. six on and off, you know, different mm-hmm. part-time, you know, casual, yeah. And what do you absolutely love about what you do? I love what I do in that I can see the future of it and when I hear the story of someone who's actually feel empowered by what I do, that is just glorious. Yeah. I, I spoke at an event that was about a month ago and it was about 200 women actually and there was a few men in the audience and the topic, it was a femtech topic and it was about how you could use, you know, Wanji to help yourself get diagnosed and this one woman come up to me afterwards and she said you know really been struggling with you know endometriosis and I just if I could use this to track that that would just be amazing and I said well yeah you could do that and then she said can I give you a hug (laughs) and oh I just oh yeah I just I just wanted to cry so you know that is just you know moment it's moments like that And then also there's, uh, you know, like some, I guess you'd call them consumer groups that I work with. And there's, you know, one in particular in the US that, you know, there's uh, some very passionate people that have a a not-for-profit for for about a particular chronic illness. And they are just so passionate about what I do. And, you know, the days that I have really difficult days, I think I have to keep going for these people. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. That really is. And what did it feel like when you got that first download? Did you have a kind of a notification like you downloaded the first app or whatever? What did that feel like? Oh, well, it was pretty exciting for the first person that actually, uh, yeah, downloaded and paid for it. Right. So <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, okay. <laughs> so we have to keep going now. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, I remember when I had my e-commerce business and you used to sort of send me a text and it would go kushling every time there was a, somebody placed an order on the, on the site. And it was just so exciting to go rush to the phone and look at what they'd ordered and everything and then go and prepare the order immediately and everything. As it was growing, it, you sort of get immune to it. But I'm, I remember that first that first sale that was just amazing. I felt it felt amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it makes all that the pain go away for yeah. that split second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the endorphins run in there. And yeah, I was interested. So also maybe this could be interesting for our listeners. Like if you are anticipating creating an app, what is the sort of procedure? Are there special web designers for apps that you can hire or are there tools that you can buy or, or use online to actually create the app? How does that work? Well, I guess I would take it back a step and think about what problem you're solving. Right. And really, if you're looking at what problem you're solving, there's easy ways of testing whether it's still valid in many ways. Put a prototype together. In some cases, you know, particularly if you're wanting to present the idea to some people to say, is this valid? 
really all you need is some screenshots, possibly, you know, PowerPoint or something like that. You could do it in or Canva or, you know, whatever. Sometimes a lot of people start off with even just a WordPress site, you know, (laughs) as their first, (laughs) you know, just a proof of concept. I think the idea is to do a proof of concept first to be able to visualize as to whether it's something that people also think is a problem, Mm -hmm. right? That's probably the first thing I'd do. And then if you go, if it then is a valid problem, then uh, go to the, then look at, you know, what it's going to be looking like, Mm -hmm. I guess. And to actually then do the development on it, I guess it's working out what's the minimal you need to do to start validating it. Right. And that could be, well, it it could have already been happened with your prototype or it could be that you just gauge one developer to start doing a few screens. Mm -hmm. Particularly, it depends on whether you're bootstrapping it or whether you're looking at getting funding. I think if you're looking at getting funding, you know, I guess there, there are accelerators where you can just show proof of concept and get some funds. Or if you're bootstrapping it, then you almost, you know, need to do the product and, and get customers. Mm. You know, there's many challenges. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if the key thing there is make sure that it's solving a problem and then other things will come. Right, right. That's interesting. And and in terms of actually getting approved by the App Store or by the Google or sort of Android, I don't know what the validation process is. Is there a special validation process or is there a sort of time frame that you're supposed to sort of propose the whole app? How does that work? Well, I mean, with both of those, there's, uh, you know, obviously you need to have a developer or yourself, mm-hmm. if you're technical, to be able to create the app version that needs to be uploaded to the app store. And then, you know, if you are receiving payment in there, then you need to abide by their rules for payment. Right. Uh, mostly Apple is more like that than Google at this point. You know, so there's, there's lots of ongoing challenges with the app stores. You can also have an alternative route to by having a web app, which is what we have. So we've got three alternatives. We have a web app, Apple Store app, and an Play Store app. Right. So, you know, you cover all bases that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that must be really sort of expensive to run, actually, to actually update and, and make sure that everything's working simultaneously. That's, that must be quite challenging. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> and there's a lot of technical challenges around that to, uh, as to what you can do right. with an app versus whether it's a web app. Right, right. That's interesting. So what's a typical day like for you? Oh, a typical day, this is probably embarrassing because, you know, I guess the first thing in the morning, I walk the dog. (laughs) So I live in the city. Let me say this. I live in the city during the week and then on the weekend we go and surf. So it's pretty much our weekly routine and I don't generally work on a Saturday and then I'll touch base with things on a Sunday. <laughs> so my routine during the week is first up, walk the dog, go to the coffee shop, you know, talk to everyone there and then come home and, you know, get changed and head into work. Right. And then when I come home, usually I'm, you know, doing my work as I'm watching Netflix or whatever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. You know, the, the, being a being a founder, there's not many 
gaps in my day that I'm not really doing some work. And, of course, I stop for dinner mm-hmm. and have dinner with the family, whoever's home, and we don't have any devices at right. that time. Right. So, you know, it's that's a safe time. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but my day is fairly busy. Yeah, yeah, and I love the dog walk. I've got a dog and I take him for walks every morning too. And I think that that's really necessary to actually sort of clear your head and your mind and stay creative for the rest of the day. Yeah. I know I need that. Yeah. It's my sort of daily meditation in the woods kind of thing so, oh I love that time it's lots of it's just good for so many reasons yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so uh, how has surfing actually helped you balance your lifestyle because as a founder and a CEO it must be pretty full-on yeah well I I love surfing although I'm not that good of course but <laughs> <laughs> but I do love surfing and we go to the beach on the weekend and and now we we go on road trips and I've gone overseas a couple of times with some girlfriends on some surfing trips uh-huh. and so for me surfing is is really a wonderful way to clear your head and just stay connected to life i mean when you're when you're out surfing and you're you know, if you get a difficult wave and then you get pummeled by the wave, there's no way you can be stressed because (laughs) you have to think about other things. And so for quite some time, I just, I have found that, that surfing is the absolute best way to, to unstress. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It's definitely necessary. And um, do you remember the first time you stood up on a surfboard and what you felt? Oh, well, I was getting lessons, so, <laughs> so it was very basic. <laughs> I, I guess I love that feeling that I could be projected by, well, at that time it was whitewater, uh-huh. but I just wanted to continue that journey and just continue to get better and, and better, and I, I do remember that feeling. Yeah. And obviously it's not, I, you know, it never goes. It's, yeah. it's a journey. Surfing, surfing is a journey because you're always – it's the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? Because when you go surfing, you have to look at the conditions. You have to see whether if the waves are massive, you then have to consider your own skills and whether you actually go out or whether you go out and you go, I wish I didn't go out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love that about surfing is that it's unpredictable and sometimes, and sometimes you'll go out when you think, oh, look, it's terrible, but actually you get a few good waves. Yeah. So, it makes and then joke. the reverse happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that surfing has actually sort of helped you with your business ventures and actually to be more resilient? I think that if I didn't have surfing, I wouldn't have that definite downtime on the weekend. I think it forces me to have that time where you go to the beach, you connect with everybody at the beach, all the locals, you know, all your friends at the beach. It's just a different way. It's almost like you have two lives. Mm. You have a life in the corporate startup world and then you have a life at the beach where everyone knows you as, you know, you wear daggy clothes and you wear, you know, you come out and you have toweling dresses and and I love vintage clothes. So, you know, I've got a selection of, you know, different types of towels that you have. And so it's all of that beach scene versus corporate startup life that I think it just sort of blends and helps you you know keep it all together that's great that's a lovely way lovely philosophy and so um i guess we're sort of arriving to the oh yeah sorry maybe the biggest surf mission or the most hardcore spot that you visited 
Have you got any any anecdotes or stories? So obviously I'm surfing in Australia, but sometimes we go on road trips and there's a place called An- An- uh, Yamba, Angari, and Angari Back Beach and Angari itself, which is a famous surfing spot. And I'm a long border rather than a short border. And I think that I stick to the Angari Back Beach side because it's more for long borders. <laughs> <laughs> and I've only ever been out once at Angari itself. And I thought, I actually, it, this is too much for me. It's too powerful. Uh-huh. Um, I know my limits. <laughs> so I guess there's a few spots like that. And, oh, Noosa. I love, well, I love that Noosa is good and bad sometimes. It gets so big. It's internationally well-known. But, you know, it's, yeah, it um, is, it's just so many good times and so many crazy times that you, <laughs> that you go when you surf there. Hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, I remember visiting Noosa in August last year and I was sort of hoping to, to surf because uh, I'm a longboarder too. And I was hoping yeah. to surf surf the waves there, but it was absolutely flat. And for the two days oh. that I stayed there, there was no waves whatsoever. So it was, I have to go back one day. <laughs> that is so disappointing. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few spots that you can go, but they're even, even when it's small, it's, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I think the sand moves, that's why it was like that. Yeah, mm. yeah possibly. Yeah. Anyway, this is, um, I guess we're sort of arriving to the end of this interview and I just wanted to know, what your next sort of plans are for the next months, a few months and years in terms of Wanji? For Wanji, our focus is on building out the product to make it easier for people to collect their health information and personalise their health reports that we give them and provide them more value in that way so that they can use it to help themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are looking at being a global product, so building that out as well being more available and connecting to more systems as we as we grow. Great, great. That's fantastic. And yeah. so how can we actually sort of connect with you on social media or online? Well, online we're at wanji.com, W-A-N-N-G-I.com. So you can go there. We have lots of blog articles. You can download the app from there in various forms. We're also on Instagram, on Twitter, <laughs> LinkedIn, we're in all of those places, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And I guess before we park the bus here, I have four questions I love to ask my guests and sometimes the answers are very spontaneous. It's just four sentences that you fill in kind of thing. So the first sentence would be, I love. My family. Mm, I miss. I miss surfing if I can't get there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish that I could get investment funding for my <laughs> startup so I could grow it more quickly. Yes. And I want. I want my family to have a happy and healthy life. Lovely. Lovely. That's beautiful. Well, Marie, we've arrived to the end of the interview. How do you feel? 
I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> Do you feel good? I feel great. Yeah, it's so nice to have a yeah. conversation and, and to sort of talk about other things than what's going on in the news at the moment. So it's really, really refreshing. Yeah. And to talk about surfing yep. as well is so refreshing when you can't actually get to the water. Like we're, I'm maybe 700 metres away from the sea, but it's banned at the moment. So we can't actually get in. And so the daily dose of medicine is just not possible. And it's kind of getting to, to us. But uh, we're staying positive and um it's been lovely talking to you so i guess we've made it thank you very much for being my guest today <laughs> thank you so much i've loved i've loved talking to you <laughs> that's great thank you marie see you soon and good luck with thank the app you. thank you bye bye That was a lovely conversation. I think that Marie's idea in Wanji is so powerful it could change the way we receive treatment and get cared for in tough times. You can actually skip over directly and download Wanji on the App Store on Google Play and the links to it are available in the show notes. To get in touch with Marie at Wanji, just head over to wanji.com. So Wanji is spelt W-A-N-N-G-I. In any case, all the details of Wanji are in the show notes included in your podcasting app. I also love the way that surfing is sort of unnegotiable downtime for Marie and she uses it to rejuvenate and reset and in these trying times it's incredible how important the immersion in the sea or in water is and how much it's missed. I guess it really tries the blue mind of us all. If you enjoy this podcast and it's livening up your lockdown days, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. You can share it with your friends and family. And these are the best things you can do to actually help me grow the podcast. You can always join the listeners and me on, on the Ocean Riders Facebook group. It's actually called the Ocean Riders Community and links to it are in the show notes. I'm sure your stoke will be contagious and you'll help lift all our minds. So share your tips for staying fit, cook slams, favourite photos, job offers, you name it. You can also support my podcast by skipping over to my website, theoceanriderspodcast.com. You can also support my podcast by skipping over to the website, uh, theoceanriderspodcast.com, where you'll find the back catalogue of episodes, blog articles, photos and videos of my guests. So don't hesitate to sign up to the newsletter as well. I haven't had time to actually make one yet, but when I do, it will be awesome, I promise. Take a look at my online merch shop. It's called theoceanridersshop.com and you can actually get yourself some Ocean Riders merch. There's some lovely stuff going on over there and so you can head over to it. Um, links are in the show notes. Alternatively, you can actually follow me on Facebook at the Ocean Riders Podcast, Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast or Twitter at Imi Podcast and that'll be That'll be super cool too. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the collaboration of my awesome podcast editor. Kudos to you, Leng Inke, who puts together this podcast and creates the magnificent show notes on my website. And thank you, Marie, for being my guest today. It was a lovely conversation and I really hope we can renew it in a few years' time and see how you get on. And last but not least, thank you guys for listening until the end. You truly are awesome. Until next episode, stay healthy and don't hesitate to catch a wave for me if you're allowed out. Until next episode, see you. Ciao.